Hey, I just want to share this great review we got from L. Schubert. I have been craving this kind of conversation, exclamation point. I grew up in a conservative Christian environment and was taught you must wait until marriage to have sex. As a 30-year-old woman who still considers herself a Christian but isn't married and doesn't believe it's a sin, quote-unquote, to have sex before marriage, although I still haven't had intercourse yet, this conversation is important. I've been working on finding the intersection of my sexuality and faith, along with still craving intimacy on all levels while in the dating world, and also wanting to be the healthiest person I can on all accounts. Way to go. These combos have been life-giving to me. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for this review. And if you can, leave reviews because it helps our algorithm. (laughs) She's like, what are these words? (laughs) She looked at Luke and said, algorithm. <laughs> you she's can't handle the, it. She's got the brain hands up. Yeah, that's it's it. perfect. That's good. So we're going to cut right there. Okay. This is a listener question that I got. And it's, oh, can you please talk about initiation? It's so awkward. It's so hard to figure out who initiates sexual activity, when you do it, is it vulnerable to do it? Is it not vulnerable? Of course it is all those things. So we're going to talk about that. Luke, I'd like you to start. Oh, I'm not starting. (laughs) That's how not to initiate. (laughs) Busted. I'd like you to start. I don't want to start. I think I was the one that wrote the question into you, Steve. (laughs) From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality. For anyone who's curious or convinced, there must be more. With your hosts, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Becky Patton. I think when I think about initiation, when it has felt like triggering for me in the past, it's because I want someone to read my mind. And... I've learned as I've become, you know, I guess circled the, do we circle the sun? Yep. yep. <laughs> Just making sure I remember that correctly. I remember if it all revolved around me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, around that's me. correct. My instinct is, that, you know, the opposite. But as I've circled around the sun a lot more, I'm realizing that asking someone to read my mind is not fair and not possible. There are those like synchronicity moments where it feels like someone meets a need that you're desiring in that moment. And that can feel so good, but don't use that as data that like, that's what should be happening. So when I felt sensitive about like wanting a partner to initiate and they're not initiating, it's funny how for me, I sort of immediately break down and I don't think about what do I want and maybe I should initiate. Instead, I'm like, why aren't they initiating? Because I'm guessing at the in that moment, what I'm desiring is for sexual intimacy. And instead of just advocating for myself, I throw a pity party and then get mad. And then that really detracts from the mood of sex. Your anger does? Uh, the, just the, teasing. The, the pity party the and pity the despair that that's and the anger. just not sexy? Yeah. It's, oh, okay. It doesn't yeah. turn me on. It yeah. actually is. It's a turnoff. So like, I don't know, Becky, I'm curious what you would say or anybody at this table, but how do people get out of their own way? I just want to also say that you named that so well. Yeah, I find Thank myself you. in that place often. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of topics around initiation that I think are important to address. But one of them, I think, from what you're saying, is sometimes we have to recognize there's a context to arousal. And there's also a 
stored response to arousal. So context is like, I love having sex in hotels. I mean, that's just like when we go away somewhere, that is an absolute expectation to me because it's like, it's somebody else's bed. I don't have to clean up. It's normally a king size bed and we only have a queen size bed. And there's something about, yeah, I just, I love that. That's a context for me because I have had really good experience. So therefore I have a context when I enter into a context that is familiar to me and has positive experience in my life. My body has a response and I want to say has an anticipation there's that element. So that's the context. But then we also have all these stored like responses that we have. And so I think sometimes initiation is a, more complicated than we think it is. And so we need to recognize what are some of our sexual triggers. I'm talking in a good stance, like, are there scents? I mean, how I'm actually feeling. One of the studies that I read was very interesting And I always struggle with, because I am a little bit dyslexic, so I sometimes turn the numbers around, but it was like 76% or 67%, I'm not sure which (laughs) one it was, of women have it, one of their biggest triggers is how they're feeling about their body in that moment. Not like the whole day, but like how they're feeling in that moment. That's true with me. And so I also wonder, what would the study be about men? Do men even take into account how they're actually feeling about their body. Absolutely. But I don't think that's true about every man. It might even be true about less than half, but absolutely how I, if I'm feeling bad about my body, getting naked is something I think about. And I don't, you know, and there's even certain positions that you don't feel as comfortable doing. If you're feeling bad about your body, I feel that way. I think, but see, I think that's good to know. They do all these studies. I mean, most of the studies that I find are for women and we don't have that much data is part of what I'm saying. So it's like, thank you for being vulnerable. So it's something to recognize that I would say is a learned response. And so it can cause us to just put on the brakes of anything, you know, erotic or anything like that. So we need to recognize what are some of our sexual triggers? What do we enjoy? And that's where... I think it's so important to recognize what brings us pleasure. Like complimentary hotel shampoo could be for some people. It could be. A mint on your pillow, Becky. A robe that I don't own. That's right. That is. (laughs) One thing I want to ask about the hotel thing is, have you in the past then communicated that expectation to your partner so that when you're going in, you're not like expecting them to read your mind about how this is going to play out? Because I think that's, I'm so guilty of that, of like, I've already got the, the tapes playing in my head about how this is going to be. And then when it doesn't happen, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so. Just, Can you just do that again? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That was so awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's so perfect. Does Rick ever oh just leave gosh. like hotels.com up on his computer so that you know he's. Making <laughs> uh, plans. You know what? Rick has never booked a hotel. <laughs> that's my arena. That's surprising. Yeah. That's, the, I know. You would r- think, r- right? I like what yeah. Ashley's saying though. So like, yeah. you know, Rick, if he was just picking up on history and clues, might be tuning in that every time you go to a hotel, you know, I think Becky's going to want to be intimate, but do you tell him every time you're going to a hotel? Like, Oh man, I can't wait to have sex. Like, I mean like, absolutely. hundred percent. But I want to say I, we've been married now 40 something years. I I always forget. (laughs) 41. It's either 41 years. 41 years or 14 years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We have two grown children. So. 
good. That was good. That was good. But um, we've been married 41 years now. And but so I want to say there are different seasons of my life. So I didn't realize I couldn't name that for myself that hotel rooms were erotic for me until a certain period. And I don't know what year that was we got married. But what I do remember, I remember the keeping the like, oh, we're going to a hotel. And mm. I remember thinking, oh, am I going to get lucky? Now, when you're younger... <laughs> Will it have and- that coin-operated vibrating? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've actually, I'm old enough to know oh, what those God. are. My dad, my, my mom and dad used to keep us in our room by giving us quarters to play on the vibrating <laughs> bed while they went in their room. Now I know what they were doing. That's hilarious. Isn't that fun? That, anyway, but I was the same way. I was like, if he really, he'll read my mind. Yeah. He can tell. I'll give him all the clues. The context clues. He had no clue because <laughs> that's not, I don't think it's any partner's responsibility to read the other partner's mind. I agree. So at some point it became a thing of foreplay for me, at least. And I want to say even for him is a lot of times we'll talk about like, oh, we're going, we're, we're going to the hotel Thursday, right? Yeah, we're going. And oh, and then we just like have knowing looks with one another and we have knowing touches and it's like two days of foreplay. So when you get there, you're just like, you are ready already. Now, I say that, and that sounds like a really great formula. There are a lot of factors that can play into interrupting or disrupting that very known event or you know situation that actually feels really good. I, you can be exhausted. You can actually maybe suddenly not feel really good. Get bad news. You can get bad news. There are a lot of you things. You ate too much at dinner. You ate too you know? much yeah. at dinner. Even oh, that. Well, we don't do dinner. We do dinner after. So that's that's smart. I, that well, is you've my, learned. So I've learned. Wisdom. I have learned. I have learned. And I just, but part of it I want to say is sometimes it's just hotels. What it offers to me is there's, it's outside your normal realm. And so I think that's part of it. And especially when we had young children, it was like the normal realm is you know when they're knocking at the door. And instead, if you get an adjoining room and you can put them in front of something that they enjoy watching, it adds a little bit of kind of you have to be quick, you have to do it well, you have to – I mean, that part was actually yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. And so I think I got sidetracked from your question, Ashley, but it's taken me learning to name what is important to me in order to give myself permission to say, oh, wait, I have a choice in this, and to actually make my choice known or my desire known. I think one of the things that happens a lot of times, and I hear this, and I was guilty of this too, is the moment I would show an interest, it's like it's got to be now because who knows, I may miss it. And I get that now. That probably had to feel really desperate on my partner's side probably. It probably did. But I think we can't underestimate that the number one erotic engagement repeatedly in all the different studies is communication, communication, communication. And believe it or not, communication about sex is really erotic. Yeah. Even just one of the exercises that I have my clients do when they're just trying to, you know, kind of understand their own sexual awareness where they're at and they're trying to find ways to reconnect. And this if they've done some healthy work, I'll say, I want you to go pick your favorite coffee shop or I want you to go pick your favorite restaurant. And I give them a list of about five questions. And I want you to describe one of your favorite sexual encounters you've had with your partner to them at this restaurant, at this coffee shop. And they're like, I want it in detail. And I give them very detailed questions that they're supposed to answer and they write it out and then they read this to their partner when they're out at this public place. And then I'm 
tell me about it. What was that like? Well, I had to lean in. I had to whisper. I had to look her right in the eyes and make sure she could actually hear me. Mm. And she was tracking with me, and I gave her permission to ask questions. And she says, the problem was is we didn't even make it to dessert. <laughs> you know, but it's like there's this very intentional intent where if you're in a public place, you don't want everybody else hearing you. So I have to be so focused on my partner and I'm having creating sexual language with sexual context that is helping to give the other partner some wiring around what you've actually experienced. That's vulnerable. And it's dangerous because it's not asking how they experience that experience. You're just being vulnerable about how you experience that experience of sexual encounter. And then, you know, fair game, the other person has to do it the next time. But they pick the restaurant. They pick where they want to do it. And the one criteria has to be out in public because in the privacy of your home, oh, the phone rings. Oh, the I got to go the dishwasher. Oh, the kid. There's all these different things. And I think that's where we have to take sex out of our homes and into places where sex is about language, sex is about communication, sex is about remembering, all of those things in order to help us, how do we reintroduce it into our homes? And that, I think, helps some with initiation because we're not always just playing the routine in the same manner. One thing I just want to add to that is I think about how important, when you say communication, within that is connection and feeling connected to the other person. And, you know, making sure that safety element is there, even though I know that's part of a relationship, but it's like when you've been doing life alongside each other and to kind of have that moment of re-engagement before you even get that far. And so a friend of mine had shared these box of questions and I'm trying to think, I think it's called like something love languages. It's not through that thing, but it's questions for couples, but it has different categories. And so we've started like bringing that along now when we go out on dates because it helps because I think as tired parents, you're like looking at each other like, oh, yeah. And so helping. And one of them is actually sex and intimacy because they're colored by different categories. There's individual. There's a couple questions. There's family. And then sex and intimacy. I think there's one more. It's just, to your point, really fun. And sometimes I think it's really hard sometimes to come up with new questions and conversations when it's someone you've been with for a time. So I just think having out, like outside resources to help and then that can just lead to the next thing. Mm. One thing I'm thinking about are the times in my past where I have been like really excited to initiate and I like make a plan, you know, and then like your partner comes home and you like, are like, ta-da, I'm ready, you know. But- Wrapped in saran wrap. Or- <laughs> <laughs> With a big bow. Slip and slide, put in the room. And- okay. <laughs> but it was like bad timing and it like crushed me. You know, like you feel like a loser, you feel undesirable, you have this narrative in your mind, like if they really wanted me, this would have like, you know, been a thing. And as I've had more experience and more grace for myself and my own desires and the desires of like the people I've been with in the past and the person I am with now, I've had to think about when I am expressing, I want to have sex with you. What I'm saying is I feel aroused right now. And expecting someone to be aroused at the exact same time I am with like no predicated information before, that's a lot. And so like when you're asking your partner, like, can you be aroused with me? That's taking some of the pressure off for me instead of like, do you want to have sex with me right now? You know, it's like, it's like, Hey, I am experiencing arousal. I've been thinking about making this plan all day. And so like, I've been thinking about having sex with you for hours 
right? And you've had your mind in that space. I've been in, in that arena. Yeah, yes. I've been in foreplay all my by own. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like one of the, the big gifts I feel like, and taking that pressure off of like myself to like, this is part of like not expecting your spouse or person or partner, partner of the moment or partner of the week or partner of 10 years, like to read your mind is saying like, Hey, I'm feeling aroused. Like you want to be aroused with me? And sometimes like your partner might not want to have sex. They might not be, their body might be feeling weird. They might, for whatever reason. And so then I'll just ask like, Hey, will you like hang with me and be with me while I pleasure myself? Like, could you just be with me? And that actually has been amazing because the other thing that's addressed is that like my sexual rhythms are also different than my partners. And so to expect that someone's going to be aroused with you at the same time, want sex with you all at the same time and have the same rhythm as you. I just don't think that's possible. That's like literally it's not, that meeting your twin. That's, yeah. that's not making space for the vastness as we talk about the spectrum of sexuality, the spectrum of gender, the spectrum of arousal capacity even. Yeah. And I think that's a really important piece, really yeah. important piece. It sort of follows a trope that's in pop culture of men always wanting sex and women always having a headache. And it's like, hmm. I guess all I'm trying to say is that like effort does not equal entitlement. Like the right. fact that I'm trying to initiate doesn't mean you owe me sex. It That's doesn't mean really that good. you have to be right. where yes. I am. And so, well, and one of the best cures for a headache is actually an orgasm. Believe it or not, <laughs> science, and according to science, I'm just saying. So as long I as you have a real yes, arm yourself right? with yeah. that yeah. response. <laughs> but I'm just. But can I help you with that headache? <laughs> you know, might be. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Let me help. Let me just pleasure you. I wonder if. It's helpful to think about, I mean, especially as your relationship grows and as the years go by, your sexual relationship, like a child that grows and changes, you know, because there aren't formulas. I mean, there, what works when you have little kids doesn't work anymore when those kids are teenagers or out of the house or empty nesters. It, it's always... Or can come bursting through the door at any moment. Right. I guess this is my question. Is it helpful to think not in terms of formulas... Of what works. Because we're all kind of wired up to like, well, what's going to work yeah. initiation-wise? And that's fine. I love that. But I remember, okay, let me finish the sentence. Is it helpful to think about it as evolving, changing, growing? And that's why communication is so important. But maybe it's just a statement. I think it's important to think <laughs> about it as a growing, evolving child. Like I remember when our kids were really little, at one point we looked at each other and said, we want to have sex with each other during this season. Mm. Do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Okay. If we wait until we flop into bed at 10 o'clock at night and then expect that we're going to have the energy, we're probably not going to have the energy. Neither one of us. And I agree, Luke, the old trope. I mean, there are times when I don't, when I have a no, you know, but because we want to have sex with each other, during a certain season, we scheduled it. That's good. That's what I call calendar sex. Yeah. And I think there's a season to have calendar sex. I just honestly do. But I, I think both of us, both of us had to climb out of like, that's not very romantic, you know? I that's, agree. That's not, Something has told us that that's yeah. lame, but it's, it's not but lame. But instead, it no. just, like when you know, and it's agreed upon, it's mutual, Yes, both people have a yes. And even then, though, we still gave each other freedom to say, in that moment, if you have a no, that's okay. You don't owe me this, and Absolutely. I don't owe it to you. So yeah. it still has to be in the moment we have a yes. But when you have that, then you can kind of reserve some energy in your day. You can 
And I just think that needs to be put into the realm of that's good sex too. That Scheduled is sex, sex is good sex too. Yes. Intentionality is sexy. We talked in the first season about how consent is sexy. Like that should be a, a t-shirt. Mantra. We should have yeah. a t-shirt of that. But intentionality too. So like it may sound unsexy to say like calendar sex or whatever, but to say like I'm just intentional about making sure that like like I know myself and I know that I will get lost in my life and in the the sort of bubble of meanness that I do live in. And so to have time where I know I'm going to remove myself from that. I also think for people who maybe you have a partner who, you know, Latif, you talked about your sexual rhythms being different. Mm -hmm. Well, like what a relief to know that like, if you're kind of in need, you know that at least there is an intentional time set aside in three days or whatever. Oh yeah. That's super helpful. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten in my own way a lot about judging how we arrive to sex because the expectation of how we've arrived to sex has been set by like movies and culture or maybe even sometimes discussions with friends or like you can even compare it to your early relationship when like you're both just like whoa and, and I want to say that's like an expectation too some people that's not their story in the beginning you know and so I think for me one of the things I've realized too is if the way we've gotten into bed and we start messing around isn't like the idea I had in my mind, who cares? We're there. Because what I want to be doing is connecting with my partner. I want to be intimate with my partner. I want to have a sexual experience with my partner. Does it matter if you put it on a calendar? Does it matter if like, you know, it's random or if it's in our house or if it's in a hotel? Like the point is, is that we're getting there and we're doing it. So on some level, like, like if you're somebody who keeps accounts of like who's initiating, does that even matter? Or does it matter that like you're making plans together and you have consent and you can get there? And sometimes like you can have fun with initiating, like you can be creative, you can learn what your partner likes, you know, like that's kind of fun and that's arousal and foreplay, you know, which is really cool. But yeah, one of the things I've fallen into in the past that has just like hurt my own needs and desires was like judging how I got to having sex. Like who cares if it's a story to tell? Like the whole point is that we're together. We had a listener who actually asked a question about this. And the question is what to do when your partner has no sex drive and masturbation leaves you feeling sad and or irritable. That's a great question. I think it's a fantastic question. And I think it's actually a very relevant question because it's exactly what we're addressing in that no two sex drives are the same. And I I think one of the things that's really important to recognize in every relationship, there is a high sex drive and a low sex drive. Now, neither one is abnormal, and I mean that 100%. That is is normal, and what can happen over the course of relationships, that can actually shift to the other person who had the low sex drive can have the high one, and the one who had the high one can have the low one. And I think that's one of the things we need to actually notice and name for ourselves. What is my own sex drive? So part of that is, as we've been talking, it's not my job to make sure and take care of the other person's sex drive. It's my job to actually notice. And what I often say is I think it's so important that the low sex drive person does not have to rise to the high sex drive in order to make it normal. And the high sex drive does not have to come to the low sex drive in order to make it work. We have to find the place in between where we meet. It's good. We've got to get away from the notion of trying to get to normal. 
who we are and our sex drive is a part of who we are. And there's a lot of factors in that. And so to this question, one of the things I would say specifically is the partner that has no sex drive. Can we get curious about that? Does the person want to do some work around it versus it must feel incredibly lonely to just go masturbate and know that you have your partner there that doesn't want to participate. And that can feel, I just want to say that feels lonely. Yeah, It feels very lonely. And so part of it is I doubt, I say this often, our sex life is actually a reflection of the emotional intimacy that we carry in our relationship. And part of what I mean by that is if sex is just where things show up, that are actually probably, there's probably other things that are going on in the relationship that need to be addressed. And so, because sex is such a physical, we're all, I mean, you're in and you're, it's such a vulnerable thing. And if, if you're experiencing your relationship, some disparity or some disconnection, that's going to show up in your sex life. If you're experiencing anger at your partner, it's going to show up in your sexual engagement because that's the place that we go for comfort. It's not the place that we go to try and figure out why we're mad at our spouse. Sex is not the place you go to try to figure out why you're mad at your spouse. That's a place you go for connection, for comfort, for intimacy. And it's like, so if other things are going on in your relationship, it's really important to get some help there. And the other thing, I, I said this at, at the Z, in our Zero episode when we were talking about one of the things I hope we look at is I think there's such a stigma around asking for help in just the Christian community. There has been, at least in my generation, it was like you don't go to a counselor unless you know, you're know you on death's doorstep, your marriage is on death's doorstep. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can actually go to counseling when you don't even have language for what you know there's something, but you're not sure what it is. And part of it is counseling is meant to help or even resources that we've talked about. You can start gathering resources for yourself when you don't have answers. Because I doubt anybody, none of us around this table got a manual for how to be in relationship with another human being. It's hard work. It is hard work to learn the language of how to speak to one another, to learn the customs. In premarital counseling, one of the things I always say to the couple when they come in is, you grew up in Germany, you speak German, you have German traditions, that's where your roots are at. Your partner grew up in Russia, speaks Russian, and has Russian customs and all the culture that goes with that. Now the two of you, you're moving to South America. You're going to have to learn how to speak a new language. You're going to take parts of Germany. You're going to take parts of Russia. And you're going to bring that with you. But you cannot just say, I'm taking my partner and I'm going, we're moving to Germany and you have to learn this. Or we're moving to Russia. And that's really the equivalent of what I think it is in a healthy relationship is you have to know, you learn a new language. I have a funny story. When Rick and I were very early in our relationship, he would say to me over and over again, if I tell you I have a beautiful body, will you hold it against me? Now, I'm a relationship person. So from my perspective, it's like, oh, no, I'd never hold that against you. He's actually wanting me to <laughs> hold my body against him. You see, it, it, total miscommunication. For two years, he asked me that. And I would always have this really kind, oh, no, I never hold that That's against you. That's hilarious, Becky. And then at one point, <laughs> one moment, it shifted and I moved. We were in our country together. And I looked at him and I said, do you mean literally? <laughs> I love that he didn't tell you. He yeah. let you figure it out. I need out. to know, has he ever asked you to sit on his lap and talk about the first thing that pops up? Because he's, <laughs> <laughs> it's another innuendo if he has. No, he's never <laughs> okay. asked me that, that one. But 
That one's aggressive. That's a good one. But what I want to say is there was an innocence. I honestly thought yeah. he was That's thinking sweet. relationship. That was an instance of having to learn how to speak and understand each other's language. I'm thinking about how vulnerable initiating is. And I think that's why it's an important topic. And mm -hmm. we've talked a lot this season about what is it to like share your pain with someone? It's a vulnerable act. And like, what is it to not suppress, but allow your emotions to come to the surface and out? Like that's a vulnerable expression. And initiation is an incredibly vulnerable act. Every and ask. time. Yeah. And I Every think time. that's why it feels so tough when it's misunderstood or doesn't land or, you know, any of those things. I think, you know, at the base level, you're asking someone like, will you be naked with me? And I, by me asking you, you know, I want to be naked with you. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, I know me neither. I was just wondering if you were. Yeah. Like, that's not how sex works. Good. You know? Glad we're on the same Good. page. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, excellent. I also have have no gas exactly. and I do not want to have sex with you. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know what it would be, but like yes. you're outing yourself mm -hmm. with the question and that takes a lot of courage. And you know, it's like the listener's question it's so hard because like the human part of me is like, I have so many questions around that question yeah. and I hear frustration and pain and discouragement. And I don't want to say that that's what's happening, but like, you know, it would be really challenging to feel like your partner has no sex drive and then to feel like your alternative also feels dissatisfying, that's really hard. And, you know, when I think about like my partner now, it's so funny. Like, I mean, there are like things that can turn you on. And, but I think what like really leads to like some of the sex I love the most is when we've had some like kind of really deep, exposing emotional conversation that's vulnerable. And then it's kind of, we've been through this thing together and we've nurtured each other and cared for each other. And then like all of a sudden it's like, oh, and now we're having sex. And it doesn't happen every time like that. But when that does happen, that feels so good to me because we've already said, can I be vulnerable with you? And the other person said, yes. And then I'll be vulnerable with you too. So it makes sense that it would lead to like a vulnerable mm -hmm. physical expression of that, you know? So yeah, I'm just feeling for that person who asked that question and I'm, I'm feeling curious, like you said, Becky, like I'm wondering if there's a lot more to be discussed outside of sex. Like sex is the, no sex drive might be a symptom of something that is totally different. And it could have something that doesn't have anything to do with that partner. I mean, I know that part of my initiation fear early on in my marriage was because I had hidden issues that I hadn't dealt with. Yeah. Well, and the and other I needed to deal with those the myself. Other, the other thing I want to say is also like sex drive is also on a spectrum. And so there also Absolutely. might not be anything wrong or hidden like, That's true. or sinister mm -hmm. for somebody that has like a different type of drive. And so I don't also want to shame anybody who's like, well, I don't really ever think about having sex. I don't really want to have sex. And I think there's something interesting too, is just the physiology of how we're actually made. Women's brains don't have as much space dedicated to sex as men's brains. Okay. That doesn't mean that our sex drive is determined is that, by our gender either though. I want to say. Yeah. It's like, cause I'm like, if we go back to the old youth group, men are microwaves and women are crockpots. Like I'm definitely a microwave. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And I know men who are crockpots. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that can be seasonal too. Yeah. I was no, just going to say, I'm like, I used to be a microwave and now I'm like, I don't, what's, 
Like a freezer? I'm a, a candle? Yes. Yes. I'm just a like deep like, box. How do I talk about this? Because I just think I'm so tired. And I think, too, I'm... We had a baby recently. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. So just like how different my body is. Plus you have someone that's touching your body at all, all times. And time. literally nursing yeah. from your body yeah. at all times. That's and a great point. To, you know, and, well, and I've... It was helpful recently. I read an article, I think from Motherly, and it talked about like how while you're breastfeeding, how much your hormones are down from that perspective. Like you have a lot of hormones going on, but just like it's actually like a survival thing that Mm. helps your body have time to recover Mm. and to care for its survival for the baby. Like so the fact that you're not thinking about having sex is like this – prevents you from having another child. And I mean, I know that happens within that window of time, but just, I just thought that was really helpful. Cause I'm like, I, it's been such a swing for me that it's just kind of surprising and also not at the same time. Cause, but I also think too, like I remember just as an aside, but for women, after you have your first child, you go for your six week postpartum checkup, which the fact that they wait six weeks after you had a baby to like check out your body is like, as far as support is crazy to me. But that's kind of the like you can exercise and you can have sex checkup. And it I just remember that's the last thing you're ready for because it's you feel so vulnerable. And mm. thank goodness I have a partner who's very caring and open and those sorts of like we can talk about that. But it's definitely a season that it feels very new. And so I think I'm just sitting here taking this in because I'm like initiating all that looks very different now. But when those moments have happened, it's been so tender. And very quick, because it's like, that's all the time we have, you know? But it's like, it's it's really efficient, you know? But but I also think, like, there's a certain hunger and need for a different kind of touch when that happens, too. Like, I was thinking about this. When you're holding someone for so much time to feel held by someone else is, like, the most beautiful feeling. It's like my body craves that, you know? And so it's like leaning back in a different way than... I felt before. The other thing, going back to the whole seasons things, is like the beauty of how relationships evolve and deepen over time. And so I want to say like too, even if you're not having a lot of sex, it doesn't necessarily mean like there's major issues in the relationship. And I know that's not what you're saying too, but I think about like there's a level of emotional intimacy that's happening in our marriage right now because of the season we're in. And the output of that isn't necessarily a lot of sex. But at some point, you know, like that will pay dividends and whatnot. But... But I just think just acknowledging that it's yeah there's multiple layers of intimacy within a relationship too. And vulnerability and like we just have to be advocating for ourselves and then also be open and hoping that our partner is also advocating for themselves so we can really understand what's on the table. I've got a question. So I know that the answer to this is probably going to be both and. I'm going to ask you to not give a both and answer because I just like we can take that for granted. It's both and. But I'm curious with regard to initiation, to what extent is it about knowing or sharing or setting up the thing that most arouses you versus the thing that most arouses your partner? Does that make sense? Mm. Like if you are the initiator, are you coming to the table saying, and I do mean you literally, like you specifically, are you coming to the table more often saying, here's what I'm really in the mood for. I have set the tone the way that feels really right to me. And there's a certain vulnerability in that. Or is it a, hey, I want to set this the way that I know matters to you. I'm curious like how that sort of ratio plays out for folks. 
can you help me understand why I can't do both and? I think both and is great. I think both and is obvious. Oh, okay. okay. I, I just want to know like practically. Oh, just practically like. Like what tends to be. How does it play out for you? Yeah. Is there one that you feel like is even slightly more worth the energy? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Could you rephrase his question in the way you're understanding it for me? Okay. When you come to sex, how do you bring your energy to sex? Do you bring your energy to sex like this is what I want to do? Or do you bring your energy to sex? Oh, I would like to. Is it an expression of I have a need right now and I'm going to be vulnerable by showing you that need? Or is it I see you and I know you and I want to meet the needs that I know you have? Mine's expressing my need. Absolutely. The majority, if not all of the time, I'll be really honest about even that. Even in the, like the practice of initiation. Yeah. So like, even if like the, if I, if I want sex, I will ask, or I'll say, you know, do you want to do this? Like sometimes even if I'm like, Hey, would you want to do this the next day, two, three days? But like, if I'd like to in that moment, I'll say like, Hey, I'm feeling this way. And sometimes there's an offer of like, I'd love to turn you on because that does turn me on to turn my partner on. But my the need is for me to have a sexual experience with my partner. And so like, yeah, like sometimes I'll like put on or take off whatever it is, right? That like would work for the moment that I know he'll enjoy, but it's because I have a need. And so I am bringing it up like, but I did have to learn how to like get out of my own way and ask for what I need instead of like wanting him to like, like leaving clues and like wondering if he's going to get them. So I've just become a lot more direct, but yeah, that's how I work. I'm realizing that because I'm similar with bringing that need and I'm like, Oh, it might work better if I thought about what you wanted, you know, like that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> well, and yeah. so that, that, that whole thing was just a setup for the question I really want to ask, which is either way it requires a certain amount of knowing you have to really, really know your partner or you have to, and, or you have to really, really know yourself. And so I'm curious just as far as practical tips for folks, what would you say, Becky, I'm going to ask you specifically, what would you say are some questions that you could ask and or answer for yourself to know more intimately, know your partner and sort of what works for them or to know that for yourself. Like you sort of came to a place of recognizing hotels have a thing for you. I'm curious if there are uh, maybe three or four questions that a person could ask themselves and or their partner to feel like they know how to initiate. Yeah. Well, wow, that's, I'll give a brief answer, but that's one of those questions where I'm like going, wow, I want to sit and come up with a really good list. So this is my off the cuff list. First thing is, am I actually longing for sex or am I longing for connection? Hmm. Because part of that is sex will get me the connection. But if it's just connection I want, I may be missing an opportunity to kind of dive deeper into something with my partner and just on an emotional level. That's good. Second thing I would say is, oh, this is, it sounds kind of silly, but do we really have time? And I want to say that's a huge question for women. It's a much different question for women who actually are the fluid receivers. There's just a little more cleanup. So I just want to say a lot of times women are like gauging time. Like how much time do we have? And I know lots of men that that, that is just as important. Okay. Just FYI, just okay. to not leave them out. But yeah, No, yeah. I'm, I don't want to leave you out because yeah. I have another question for men in the process yeah, yeah. of it. But part of it is I think that can oftentimes be an inhibitor of initiation 
Another question that I have for men is, is there anything that I'm feeling right now that I can't use language for? And I know that's a feeling word, but one of the things that I think is so important for men is men have these deep wells of emotion that I think they are rich in emotional capacity to connect with their partner. And so often because of this protruding part of their body, they will choose connection physically and not actually do the language, the work of language connection. Like, so one of the things that it's foreplay for us a lot of times can be when I need to feel that connection and I'm being initiated on, I ask questions like, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you've experienced today. Tell me about how you long to touch my body today. And I'm trying my best to help him get into his emotional well so that it helps me get into my physical well, if I'm not the initiator. And that's one of the things I think 100% is learning how to develop a sexual language with your partner takes time, but it's actually one of the best investments you'll do. And I think one of the, I mean, there is something so beautiful. My Rick will still use that phrase with me. If I tell you you have a beautiful body, will you hold it against me? And I immediately have a different response now. You know, I come running and press myself against him and it's like this wonderful engagement. But that's like our secret sexual language. It's no longer secret. Um, <laughs> but it's but he knows I, I I've shared that before. But it's like there's this element of developing your own special secret language, sexual language is really, really important because it gives you a connection in a crowd a lot of times or just places you're at. It gives it's a security. It's a security of knowing it's this other person that knows you. And I think that is a real help with language. We used to, years ago when our kids were little, the only place we could find privacy a lot of times was in the laundry room. And so our sexual language was, do you want to do a little laundry? <laughs> I need to do some laundry. And it was like, you know, we make sure where everybody was at and boom, we get down there. And it was like, that was... Did you turn on the actual, you know, for some extra no, movement? Uh, and, okay. <laughs> you, you've been in our laundry room. It's small. Yeah, There's not a lot of movement. There's not a lot of creativity. It's and it's not there. pretty. No. It's not pretty. But I think that there's something about initiation is at the core an act of vulnerability. Yes. And if we don't notice that in ourselves, am I ready to be vulnerable? What will it take for me to be vulnerable? And can I open up to another's vulnerability? This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcasts. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. We talk a lot about personal trauma from purity culture. But again, it's these rules and regulations and behaviors that get set up is all about belonging to a certain group. We also have the trauma when you get expunged from the group, when you get thrown out of the group. And that's usually very 
insidious. You know, sometimes it's really explicit, but many times this is kind of an implicit understanding that you no longer belong. 